0: Good morning to everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Thank you for everyone who's joining us on this beautiful day. Those who are on the other side of the camera in Leesburg, we're happy that you're here, or whoever's watching from the comfort of their homes. You could not have picked a better Sunday to come to church. You could not have picked a better Sunday to come to church because we are kicking off a new series today, and it's going to be something that the title says it all. The title up on the screen says that the best is yet to come, and I truly believe in this series you are in for a treat. And it's not a treat because of what I'm going to say. It's a treat because what I really, really, with the bottom of my heart, believe that God is going to do in this series. Because we're going to be studying the book of Ruth. And if you've never read the book of Ruth, it's a very short book. It's only four chapters. You could read it in probably 15, 20 minutes, okay, from cover to cover. On the surface, Ruth doesn't seem like a very exciting book. It's not like a wars and fighting and enemies defeated. There's no red seas. There's no seas that are split. There's no miraculous healings. There's no dead people come to life. On the surface, Ruth is actually kind of a boring book. It's a dialogue for most of it. Okay, so if you, you know, like, you know, how sometimes you watch a movie, like, you know, like the action movies, okay? And and there's very little talking in it. And then you have those movies where it's just two people in a coffee shop talking. Okay, we call them my wife's type of movies. Okay, you know those? This is one of those kind of books where it's just people talking the majority of the time. It's actually a story of a tragedy. It's about two ladies who lose everything. Not just lose everything, they lose hope, they lose lose loved ones, but it seems like, we'll get into it today, it seems like they've even lost God because it seems like God himself has left them for dead and moved on in his life. But what you will see is that even though God doesn't speak in this book, even though God isn't present in a visible way, even though it doesn't even, it's as if God isn't even on the stage, okay, with just the dialogue that's taking place in the story in any way. You will see that he is present in every word that is uttered. He's present on every page. It's impossible to miss him once you see his protection, his provision, how he is taking care of details in a hidden kind of a way. So if you feel stuck, I'm in a place where I shouldn't be, this is the book for you. If you feel hopeless, this is the book for you. If you feel like my life, I'm at a dead end, and I just don't know where this story goes, you are in the right place because the best is yet to come. Here's our key thought, and the key thought really says it all. Let's read this all together. Just around the corner from the worst is God's best. Again, just around the corner from the worst is God's best. Like I said, Ruth is a story for people who have no hope. Ruth is a story for people who are at a dead end. Ruth is a story for people who have not just said, why God? We've all said, why God, at some point or another. But Ruth is for the people who are in a situation, and you can't imagine how anything good can come from this situation. Have you ever been in that place? I've been in that place. We've all been in that place. Some of us may say we're in that place right now. Not just, I'm in a bad place. Okay, God, I need you to make this good. I'm in a place that if I am super-duper creative and I think with all my heart and I think and I think and I think, I can't see any way that this road takes me over there. You're in a place where you can't see any good possibly coming from this situation. That's where we find this story. And if that's you, you're going to love Ruth. Because Ruth is all about how God works in mysterious, wondrous ways, ways that never add up. It's never one plus one equals two. How he is working in what I wrote down here in my notes. Impossible to perceive ways. Ordinary events. events insignificant events, trivial events, events that have nothing to do with anything that I'm praying about. Somehow, God uses them to accomplish mighty things. If I had to pick a theme verse, the theme verse for this series is Ephesians 3.20. It's not from the book of Ruth, but I think it captures the spirit of it better than anything else. It says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Repeat that after me. Now to him who is able to do now to him who is able to do, exceedingly abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think. What this verse says is there's no limit. There's no limit. There's no limit to what God can do. Like you on your most creative day, when you're trying to think to yourself, how can this situation be solved? What good can come of this? God has ways. Like God, God forgets ways. God leaves solutions like under, oh, there's no solution. Like he didn't even pay, pay, like he's got so many solutions. He can't hold on to them because God on his least creative, he's got ways that are not just above us, that are not just exceedingly above us, but exceedingly abundantly. You know what the difference between exceedingly and abundantly is? You know the difference? One means very, the other means very, very. So St. Paul is saying right here, he's saying God is not just above us. This is what I imagine. Like, you, have you ever heard, like, a kid tell a story, and they're like, you know, this was really cool. You no, know, this was, like, really, really cool. This was, like, the really, 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 really. You know, the people who that's like, that they text, okay, that way of, like, you know, uh, love you so, 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 so much. Okay, not to make fun of my wife again, but she's just right there. So Marianne will do that. Love you so, 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 so much. And I'm like, how do you know how many so's? So if you got a text from her, does she love you four sows? so's? That's what St. Paul is doing right here. He says, I want to tell you how much God can do. God can do above what you ask or think. Okay. No, 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 let me tell you again. God can do abundantly above all you ask or think. Okay. No, no, no. God can do, help me out. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. No matter how bad the situation may seem, just around the corner from the worst is God's best. Just around the corner from the worst is God's best. I don't know if you believe it or not, but my prayer is that by the end of this series, you'll be fully convinced of that. So, with that said, let's jump into Ruth. We're going to read a lot here today. We're going to read chapter one, not all the verses, but a lot of it. So, we're going to kind of go through here quickly. You feel free to read it more when you go home. Ruth chapter one, verse one begins and says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. First verse gives us the context. It's in the days when the judges ruled. So if you kind of get the context, Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Moses, let my people go, cross the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. Joshua takes them into the promised land. They're living the dream life in the promised land. God took care of all their enemies. But now they enter the era of the judges. And the era of the judges is a very cyclical time where the, 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 the phrase that defines it is everyone did what was right in their own eyes during that time. So God gave them victory. They're living in the promised land. And then they start to, you know, cut some corners on his rules. They start to obey him a little bit less. They start to maybe, you know what, sleep in on a Sunday morning. They start to maybe say, you know what, I don't need to worry about that purity as much. Not things that we would worry about. They wouldn't cut these corners. Okay? And they started to cut a few corners, cut a few corners, cut a few corners. Then all of a sudden, what happened is the bad guys would come in and they would be, they would be captured by the bad guys. And what would they do when they got captured by the bad guys? What do we do when that situation happens? Oh, please, God, please, God, please, God. We're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. So God sends them a judge, a redeemer, to save them. They get saved, and for a little bit, they are back to obeying God's commands. And then what happens? The cycle repeats itself. That's where they're in right now. And one of the ways that God would correct them, like I said, was sending an evil nation to conquer them, or, as it is in this verse, a famine. And they knew that the famine was God's way of showing that his blessing has been removed from the country. And I know for us, famine doesn't make much sense. Okay, some of us could use a famine, okay, for at least for a little bit of time, all right? But famine for them, think of it like we would look at the economy. The economy went in the toilet, okay? The job market dried up. There's no opportunity, so you got a job, whatever your job is, okay, whatever your career is, there are no more jobs for that in the D.C. metropolitan area. There's no more jobs for, like, you're a teacher. No more teacher jobs. They just got rid of all schools. No more teaching. Or you're a, in, in a, a certain kind of a doctor. And that's just, you know what, that's oversaturated right here. So you are not going to find a job in this area. That's where they found themselves. So they decide to go to Moab. Moab, good decision or bad decision, you think? Who thinks Moab was a good decision to make? Who thinks Moab was a bad decision to make? Moab was a very bad decision to make because what it showed is that they didn't trust God to provide for them. Like what they should have done is seen the hand of God in this and repented and prayed and trusted. But what they instead did, they went to an enemy territory who worshiped false gods. And God said very clearly, don't do that. And we're going to see that it turned out not so good for them as the story continues. Next verse. And a certain man of Bethlehem of A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. <clears throat> Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem of Judah. So here we get introduced to the cast of characters. And you got a family of four. Elimelech, Naomi, that's the husband and wife. And then the two sons, Melon and Chilion. You know, in in the Bible times, every name had meaning, had significance. So Eli Elimelech means God is my king. El, anytime you see El in in Hebrew, El means God. Okay, so like Michael is Michael, is the one who is like God. El, like El Shaddai, El, okay, El is God. Melik. okay, those who, Arabic, okay, Melik. So God is my king is what Elimelech means. Now, unfortunately, Elimelech, who says his name is God is my king, did a very un-God-as-my-king action by leading his family into Moab. So even though his name said this, he unfortunately didn't follow through on it the right way. Naomi, her name means sweet or pleasant. Okay, we'll come back to her because her name is significant, which we'll see later on. Melon and Chilion, these are the two sons, Anyone want to guess what their names mean? They had fun names. Melon meant sick or sickly. Chilion meant frail or tired. Their their names were literally sick and tired. (laughs) Hey, where are the sick and tired kids? See, back then, I guess they weren't worried about kids' self-esteem the way we are today, okay? (laughs) They didn't have those issues that we have today. But most likely, okay, the kids were named, okay, kids were always named in like a prophetic way, like name him Mighty Warrior because you want him to be a warrior, or as is probably in the case here, no one prophesized that they'll be sick. Most likely when they came out, they were frail or they were sickly in some way, so they named them as they saw them, okay? There's a, there, like Esau, Esau was named this way. Esau, his name means like the red, the dark guy, because when he came out, he must have been like a tomato or something like that, so his parents said, let's call him Esau because he looks like a tomato, Anyway, you got Elimelech, you got Naomi, you got Malon and Chilion. They moved to Moab. Bad decision. We're going to see that right off the bat. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Right off the bat, as soon as they get there, the husband dies. In those days, in all days, it's never easy to be a widow, but in those days it's especially difficult women didn't have careers women couldn't provide they couldn't protect themselves so she's in a tough situation especially when is especially the worst time to have your husband die during a what a famine so we got hit by the famine we tried to solve it by going to moab as soon as we got to moab the famine didn't end it actually became worse we had a hard time and now we have a hard time without a husband but that's okay she got them two sons Two sons will get married, they'll have kids, she'll be a grandma, life will be okay, right? Verse 4. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. These are the, the, the wives of the two sons. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the women survived her two sons and her husband. That's a lot of body blows to be taken in the first five verses. You got the famine. You don't know what you're going to eat. You move across the place to a foreign place where you don't speak the language. You don't know the culture. Certainly don't worship their gods. At least you hope you don't. Now all of a sudden your husband dies. And now you're in that bad situation with just your kids and then your kids go. The beauty of this story, the beauty of the story, I'm just going to keep interjecting it here and there, is you are going to see darkness, darkness, darkness. But then what you're going to see, that's the whole purpose of the story, is in the middle of the darkness, a little shine of light, a little ray of light. And that's what this story is going to teach us, is how in the middle of darkness, how in the middle of dead end, that we, how we can take our awful circumstances, these awful circumstances, and how we can shine the light of God's providence on them. Because it doesn't seem like it is. It seems like it's back there. It's buried somewhere. It's deep but somehow we're going to find a way to shine the light of God's providence in the darkest of times. That's what this story is going to teach us. Let's go to verse six. Then she arose, this is Naomi, with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So she heard, so famine back in the land moves over here. Nothing over here. Husband dies, son dies, other son dies. Stuck with these daughters-in-law. Okay, and I don't know what to do with my life, but I heard back there that the famine is over. So she says, I'm going to go back there. Now she tells her two daughters-in-law, y'all, you don't need to come with me. Because what are you going to do when you come with me? Like, y'all are not Israelites. Y'all are not Hebrews. Y'all are not going to fit in over there. Like, better for you, stay here, live your life, get married to a Moabite guy, live in the Moabite culture, but you're not going to, like, it's not going to be good for you if you go back there. Believe me, they're not going to welcome you, okay? They're not the most, like, we love foreigner kind of people on the planet. So it's better off for you. And if I had other sons, I'd give it to you to marry. But I don't got sons, and I'm not going to have another son because I don't even got a husband. She tells them, go back home. Verse 11. She says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I, have a, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? It's like, even if I got married tonight, there's probably a little age discrepancy because it takes him a while to be at that age of marriage. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? She's saying, if you follow me, you're never going to get married. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes. Listen to the pain in her voice. For it grieves me very much for your sakes, That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. You hear that? The hand of the Lord has gone against me. We're gonna pause the story right here. There's a difference between, okay, help me out. There's a difference between, I'm in a tough time, it's a trial, it's a hardship. It's, it's, it's things aren't going okay. That's one thing. We've all been there. But this is different. What she's saying here is it's, it's not a hard time because people are against me. It's not a hard time because my boss is on my back. It's not a hard time because my kids won't listen to me. Why is it a hard time for her? Who is against her? The Lord. Have you ever been there? I'm not saying, have you been there? But I'm saying, have you felt like you're there? You ever felt like God himself is working against me? And I got to confess right here. I am the most optimistic, believe, faith, faith-filled, vision. like, I'm that. But there have been times in my life where I feel like, you know what? I don't worry about what, but there are times in my life where I feel like, God, are you against me? Because it seems like, like you gave me a challenge. You gave me one, two, three, and I trusted, and I obeyed, and I did, and the end result was one, two, three became one, two, three, four, five, six, and it seems like the more I trust, the more you keep adding to the list. Like, you know when you have a to-do list, okay, with like four or five items in there, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to attack these, because all you want is to to get rid of the to-do list, and then you do work hard, and at the end of the day, nothing gets crossed off, and three more things got added. You been there? At that point, you're like, God, like, whose side are you on? Are you on my side? Are you working with me or working against me? You've been there? You felt that way? That's exactly how they feel. Keep waiting. Naomi keeps waiting for God to come through. We're in a famine. God come through. The famine ends up with my husband died. Okay, God, I'm trusting you with the famine and the husband died. Okay, and after the husband died, son number one dies. And then son number... Like, God, like, you, do you want me just to die? Do you want me to quit? Because it seems like it. it. seems like everything I do, you're just like, No. No, no. <clears throat> this is not someone asking, where are you, God? This is someone saying, I know exactly where you are, God. You're causing all the problems. You are working against me. And that gets us to this. Here's the question that, that maybe you've asked yourself this question. This is where Naomi is right now. How can I trust the God who dealt me this painful hand in life? How can I trust the God who dealt me this painful hand in life? This is a real struggle. This is a real struggle that many of us face. Like, I, I talk to people all the time who struggle with this. This is not like, you know, you should believe, you should, I'm talking about real people who really love God and really trust him for everything. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel this way sometimes myself as well. Sometimes you're in a bad situation and someone tells you, wait and see, wait and see, wait and see. God will come through, wait and see. God will be there, wait and see. This is not that. This is when you see God and he's actively working against you. This is when you don't have to wait. He's right there. And every time he's there, it gets worse and worse and worse. The expression that I wrote down here in my notes. This is God piling on. Do you remember piling on when we were kids? okay, that's when somebody is down, okay, like you play football, okay, and then tackle the guy, and then you're just like, just, you know, people's elbow, whatever it is, like you just want to jump on top of the, like you're just piling on, like he's already down, but just jump on top. You ever been in a situation where it feels like God is piling on? That's where Naomi is, and that's why she tells the two girls. She says, look, I got nothing for you. I don't even know why I'm alive myself. Y'all go, live your best life, do what you need to do. You're at the age of marriage, Go enjoy your life. What will the daughters-in-law say? How will they respond? Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. So first up to bat is Orpah. And Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, Naomi says leave, and she kisses her, and that kisses her was a gotcha, nice knowing you, goodbye kiss. And we're not gonna judge her, okay? But she basically, she did the smart thing. She did the logical thing. She listened to what Naomi said, and she went back to her homeland. That's Orpah. And in case you're wondering what happened to Orpah, tradition tells us that after Orpah left the Naomi, she went back to her homeland, started a daytime TV show, which really blew up, okay? <laughs> And it worked out well for her since then. (laughs) Let's now go to Ruth, verse 16, okay? So here's Ruth. She's seen ever since she's been part of this lady's life. The famine, the father dies, the son dies, the other son dies, the daughter-in-law leaves. Like, all signs point to, like, let's just make it a unanimous clean sweep. And that's nice knowing you, lady. Here comes Ruth. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Your God, my God. Because she was not Israelite. But she says, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. and There I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. In a word to describe this. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is either something wrong or incredible. Because remember, who is she saying this to? She's saying this to her mother? No, not her mother. To her mother-in-law. This is amazing for your mother. I won't say anything about the in-law. This means, Ruth, you're probably never going to get married. Ruth, you're probably never going to have kids. Ruth, you're never going to be accepted. You're going to go to a society, like I said, is not going to accept you. You are a Moabite. Okay, and there is, if you look in the Old Testament, you see what the Israelites thought of the Moabites? They thought they were dirty scum. Okay, there's one verse that says, Moab. Okay, this is, I think it's in, the, in Psalm, it says Mo, or one of the prophets. Moab is my wash basin, says the Lord. That's what God said about it. The Moab is my wash basin, like the place is like my, where, I, where I wash my feet when they're dirty. That's what it says. That's what the people think of the Moabites. And You're going to go there, and you're not one of them, and you're not going to marry, and you're not going to have kids. Between me and you, you're better off forgetting about Naomi. But she says no. She says, where you go, I go. And notice, she also said, where you die, I will die. Meaning what? Meaning, I'm not just gonna go to help you move in. I'm just gonna get you settled in and then leave. Where you die, I'm gonna die. You're gonna die here. That's where I'm gonna spend the rest of my life. For her mother in law. But you know the most amazing part? She didn't just say, your people, my people. She said, your God, my God. Why is that strange? Why is it strange that she would say, your God will be my God? Why is that strange? Naomi, who believes in the God of Israel, just said what about him? He's against me. She said it twice. She said, this God is not working in my favor. This God is destroying my life. This God is against me why in the world Ruth would say, your God is my God? We don't know. It doesn't tell us, but I have a guess. And this is just, off, just, just my idea. What made Ruth say, Naomi, your God will be my God? The only way she would have known about that God of Israel was through Ruth when she lived with her or through her husband, Mr. Sick or Mr. Tired. So one of the three of them had to do a good enough job of selling and convincing her and showing her that the God of Israel is the true God. We're going to put sick and tired on the side, okay, because we don't think it's them. I think it's Naomi. I think there was something about when Naomi had Ruth, okay, and they would sit around the fire. She had Orpah and she had Ruth and they would sit there by, by the fire and she would tell them the story of the Red Sea and how God parted the Red Sea and how God is so faithful. Ruth took that inside of here. And then one day she told her the story about how God would bring manna from heaven and we would wake up in the morning. Our ancestors told us they would wake up in the morning and God provided and our ancestors, they, 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 they complained against God. They said, God has left them, but God never left them. And she told them story after story after story. And Ruth, my guess, had made this decision from a long time ago, but she just didn't vocalize it to right now. Every time she heard a story about the God of Israel, she said, that's the God. So this, I'm going to pause the story right here and I'll go right back into it. But I just, I can't, I can't leave this point right here, especially for parents. Okay, if you're a parent, but this is for everybody, but especially parents. Parents, Ruth, her faith is based on what she saw in her mother. Ruth, her faith, her extreme, incredible faith is based on what she saw in her mother. We have a great responsibility not to teach our kids anything about God. Don't think you teach your kids anything about God. It's not what our kids hear us say. It's how our kids see us live. Okay, we, we had a, in the, in the summer, we were doing a, like a parents, a thing for parents in the summer and the guy up on the screen, he said something, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something to the effect of, parents, stop worrying that your kids don't listen to what you say. Start worrying that they see everything that you do. And that's a valuable point is that Ruth is who she is Ruth, I believe, is the fruit of Naomi. And what our kids see in us, and this is not just parents. This is, this is neighbors. This is colleagues. You don't realize what message you're sending. But Naomi had a deep connection with God, and the fruit of it is seen in Ruth. That also shows me, by the way, that's why I'm saying, Ruth, or I'm sorry, Naomi, God is not against you. She felt like God is against me. God is punishing me. Exact opposite. She had a very strong faith. She had a very deep connection with God. She was his faithful daughter. And just because, this is important to know, just because you can't see God, just because you can't see God telling you faithful, just because you can't see him encouraging you, doesn't mean that he isn't. And that's exactly what it means by walk by faith, not by sight. This is like a theme throughout this book, but it's the theme throughout every page of scripture. There's two ways to walk through life. There's faith, and then there's sight. Sight means everything adds up. What you see is what you get. One plus one, all is equals two. So if you see famine, it means God is against you. You get a promotion, God is for you. That's walk by sight. That's not a good way to live life. We walk by faith. Walk by faith means we don't care what we see. We go with what we know. And what we know is that God has never left us. But you got bad stuff happening. But God has never, has never left us. But, um, you know, this is not working out for you. But that doesn't mean God isn't working. It just means he's working in ways that we'll never understand. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 121, says this. It says, I lifted my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. You know, I read this psalm every single morning. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. How many of us have ever felt like God has, like, gone fishing for the day? or Like, taking a nap. We'll get you back tomorrow. He who will, watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel, we neither slumber nor sleep. We need to trust that more than what we see. We need to trust that more than what we think. We need to trust that more than what we feel. Because tragedies and trials and difficulties, I don't know how I can emphasize this enough, does not mean God doesn't care. Hard times does not mean that God doesn't care. I don't know about you, but I get mortified sometimes when I see natural disasters take place and I see people try to pin it on God and try to say it's because God, like I remember 9-11, it's God judging this country. It's God condemning this country. 9-11, for some of you who are 12 years old, you may not know what that is. Okay. But that was a, a big thing back in the year 2001. Okay. And so many people were quick to rush It's because America, because America, okay, but that's fine. You can say that. But what about the faithful person who was in the building who got hit by the plane? you did to say that God is against them and God is punishing them? That's an awful way to live life. Sicknesses, diseases, natural disasters because God is condemning those people. Well, you say that because you're not those people. But when you, that's you, you don't say that. You say the opposite. It's like, where are you, God? Save me from this, God. But when it's them, good for you, God. Give it to them. God is never asleep on the job. God never stops caring. Just because bad stuff does ha- happens doesn't mean that God has left us. He's always working. Sorry, back to the story. Back to Naomi and Ruth. Naomi sees Orpah go by. She sees Ruth sticking with her. And Ruth says to her, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. She tries to convince her again, verse 18. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. I'm sorry, she stopped trying to convince her. After she saw that When she saw that She was determined To go with her She stopped speaking to her Now the two of them Went until they came To Bethlehem And it happened When they had come To Bethlehem That all the city Was excited Because of them And the women said Is this Naomi Excited is not The best translation For this word Other translations Would say The entire city Was stirred Because of them Stirred is a better translation Excited Not like Oh yippee We get to see her Stirred like, is that her? Is that the one that the husband died and then the son died and then the other son died? That's the lady? That's the cursed lady? That's that? Is that Naomi? That's how the city was astir because they had all heard about this lady who forsook God, went to this place, her life fell apart. And they said, is this Naomi? And I told you Naomi means what? Sweet or Pleasant. So she responds when they say, is this Naomi? And Naomi means sweet or pleasant. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. Do not call me sweet and pleasant. Call me bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? She says it again. That God's hand himself. God is the one himself who's against me. Now, on the surface, if you take this just on the surface, is Naomi being a complainer? Is she being like a negative Nelly? On the surface, it appears that she is. But I give her a pass. I give her a pass, not just because of what she's gone through, but I'm looking in this, and if you dig deeper, parents especially, I see her being not negative i see her being real sincere honest and as a dad that's all i want for my kids and specifically i'll punch out three things that i see in her response that i think are no, are notable and noteworthy in her number 1 she says i know my god is alive i know my god is alive she didn't for one second give up on god and her people their history was, when bad happens, give up on God and find another God. Remember that whole golden calf thing? Remember that? When, when they had been freed from the, the, the bad guys and they were in the wilderness and Moses was up on top of the mountain and they are like, it's been 15 minutes and Moses came down. God must be dead. Let's make a golden calf. And that's our God. And that's the God who saved us. She didn't do that. Israelites were very, very quick in those days just to jump to another God because when bad stuff happened, just go to uh, another option of a God. She did not do that. I know my God is alive. Number two, I know my God is almighty. I know my God is is, is sovereign. She didn't doubt for one second. She didn't doubt for one second that God has all the whole world in the palm of his hands. Now, she wasn't happy the way he was using that power, but she didn't doubt it for a second. When we're in tough times, there's always going to be this temptation to think that God is unable or God is weak or God is just a Sunday school thing but the real world, that's not a God thing. Like God, just leave him in church, say your prayers, okay, and pray about like, you know, when you lose your Bible, pray about that. Okay, but like real world problems, that, that's, not, that's not God stuff. She said, no, my God is almighty. There's no power outside of him. And then the third one, which is the one that I think that some of us need to learn from her especially. My God is awake and active. My God is, like I said, not gone out for lunch. Sometimes we think, like I said, that God has that sign on the door. It's like, be back in an hour, something like that, when we need him most. She says, no. I don't like what he is doing, but I know he is doing. I don't like the result of his activity, but I don't think for a second he stopped. There's an expression I use here that sounds blasphemous, but just stick with me right here. I think that a lot of us, when we go through tough times, need to learn how to, I'm going to pull out the air quotes here, blame God. Now, when I say blame, there's two ways to define the word blame. We think of the negative way, which is we assign fault. I blame you. It's your fault. I blame God. It's your fault. That's not the kind of blame I'm talking about. I'm talking about blame, not assigning fault, but assigning responsibility. In other words, what I'm saying is, God, I don't know how we got in this situation. I don't know why this happened. But in the end, no one's going to save me but you. So this one's on you. I'm not going to run to Moab again. I tried that, didn't work. I'm not going to run to another man again because that day he's probably going to die before I even get to the honeymoon. I'm not stopping with none of that stuff. God, this is between me and you. Some of us, we need to learn how to do that. Because some of us, stuff happens and we're like, oh, it's my boss. Oh, it's my parents. My parents messed me up. And the rest of my life, what my parents did to me when I was in fourth grade, we spent the rest of our life talking about what our parents did in fourth grade. And some of us needed to say, you know what? Forget about my boss. Forget about my parents. Forget about my spouse. Forget about my neighbor. Forget about everybody else. This is between me and God. If this situation is going to get solved, it's going to get solved here. It's going to get solved here. It's going to get solved here. here. She chose to focus less on what was done to her. She chose to focus more on what God will do for her and what God can do for her. Because she knew that God was active even though she couldn't see him. She knew that as long as the kitchen was open, the chef is back there and he's still cooking stuff. And she didn't like the hors d'oeuvres that came out. And she didn't like the first platter. But she knew the chef is in there. And she knew the chef is working. So she's going to, you know what? This is where we're going to solve the issue between me and God. So I don't think Naomi was bad. I think Naomi was real. And again, like I said, as a parent, that's all you want from your kid. You want them just to be honest with you, whatever is inside. And we're going to see, as we finish up the chapter right here, what I believe is the fruit of her faithfulness and the fruit of her realness with God. As we get to the last verse of the chapter, and this is going to be one of those like, okay, that seems trivial. It seems insignificant. But by the time we get to the end of the book, I promise you what we're going to see right here is going to be God working in, in hidden ways. So Naomi returned and Ruth and Moabatites, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And you say, okay, this was a tough chapter, and it ends just with like a... But that's exactly the point. We're not going to get into it this week, but God is going to use this barley harvest, which is just like a footnote, just a, oh, by the way, uh, it's barley harvest. That barley harvest, which you think nothing of? You won't believe the miracles and the miraculous God's going to do through it. We'll go spoiler alert right now, just in case you don't know how the story ends. Ruth ends up finding a husband. His name is Boaz. Turns out that he turns out to be a a important character in the history of mankind. Because out of his ancestry, or one of his descendants, turns out to be a guy named Obed. And out of Obed comes a guy named Jesse. And out of Jesse comes a guy named David. This is the last verse of the book of Ruth. Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. And who did David beget somewhere down the road? Jesus Jesus Christ himself. So Ruth and Naomi. Ruth becomes the great-grandmother, not of Jesus, okay, of David. Great-grandmother or grandmother? Yeah, great-grandmother of, of, of David, who becomes the ancestor of Jesus Christ himself. So I would say to Miss Naomi, my life is over. She becomes the great-great-grandmother of David. My life is over. Just sit tight, Naomi. I'd say to Ruth, who said, I'm going to go over there and just die. Sit tight. Because in the end, it works out pretty good for you. I wanted to tell you that in advance at the beginning of the study because now what you're going to see is that everything happening between now and that verse is not insignificant. Everything happening between the dead end, the darkness, the, 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 the no hope that we're in right now is going to end there. And then you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, but how did this road, like this road was going this way, and then this step, and then this step, and end up over there? That's exactly how God works. That's exactly what it means. That just around the corner from the worst is God's best. That's how God works. John Piper, who wrote a commentary in the book of Ruth, said this. He said, when you think he is farthest from you or even has turned against you, the truth is he is laying the foundation for the rest of your life. Again, that's a good quote. When you think he is farthest from you or even has turned against you, The truth is he is laying the foundation for the rest of your life. When you think this step is just leading me to here, it's just leading me to here, it's just taking me to the worst. What you don't realize is God is laying the very foundation stones that are going to get you over here. But the problem is the road doesn't connect. But that's how God works. That's what we're going to see with Naomi. That's what we're going to see with Ruth. So I hope you're excited for this study. As you can tell, I absolutely am. Because I don't know about you, but I'm ready to turn the corner on the worst. I'm ready. Here's our theme, our key thought. Just around the corner from the worst is God's best. I'm ready to turn the corner. I'm ready to get rid of the worst. I'm ready to get to God's best. And our message for this series, we're going to see that even in the darkest of times, even when you are face-to-face with the worst of the worst of the worst, that just around the corner, just around the corner from the worst might be God's best. If we're faithful and willing to trust and give him time to get there. Y'all excited about Ruth? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Lord, we thank you because we know that you're faithful. We know that you're active. We know that you're alive. We know, Lord, that you're always here. Thank you, Lord, for for this series, for the example of Ruth and Naomi that you're going to give to us, Lord. And I know. Many, many people who is are in need of encouragement, in need of, of, of light at the end of the tunnel, Lord, and we pray that you would provide it to us through this series. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.